so on this 23rd day for the holy souls in purgatory, it's a day of prayer for those who died suddenly without preparation. How worthy of compassion is the lot of those who are suddenly called out of life to the dread tribunal of God's justice, who are summoned to meet the bridegroom when they least expect it. For, though clothed in the wedding garment of grace, its whiteness may just then be tarnished, though provided with the oil of charity to feed their lamps. It may burn somewhat dimly. Let us pray fervently for such souls today. Is there anything more painful than to see a beloved friend, brother, and even perhaps a parent die without the last sacraments, unprepared and unrepentant? What bitterness, what terrible anguish of mind, what a wound for the poor heart, the dearly loved one thus lost to us forever. Never, we imagine, shall we see him again. All during eternity, no call will ever reach him, no answer will ever come, or rather, from the terrible abyss, moans and cries of despair will be heard. O oh God, what an unutterable suffering! In the light of faith, nothing could be more bitter. He whom I so justly loved, whose salvation was as dear to me as my own, death has suddenly seized. He did not frequent the sacraments and was not in a state of grace. Behold, now all is over forever. Nothing remains but to weep eternally, and it almost seems as if death itself will not be able to make good his loss to me. For how taste of its sweetness, remembering him who suffers eternally, and for whom I would have given my life. These forebodings are, alas, only too natural, but let us be careful not to exaggerate them. The mercy of God, like his greatness, is an abyss. We do not know, and we have no right to say, that such a person is damned, no matter how he died. His feet, it is true, were in the road of perdition, and he exposed himself to the terrible sentence. This is quite certain. But still the mysteries of the last moment, and especially those of divine goodness, are hidden from us. An illustrious bishop once said, Between the last sight of a dying person and eternity, there is an abyss of mercy, especially if some pious persons have been praying for him. God knows what is for the best, and in his own good time may have granted the prayers which we thought unheard. What was wanting to this agonizing person? A ray of light with the last beatings of the heart, and this instantly produces a feeling of love and sorrow. That suffices. Hell is closed and purgatory opened. Jesus, casting a glance on the soul about to leave the body, says, Which dost thou prefer, the demon or me? Raising its eyes to him, the soul answers, Thee, Lord, O thee, and mercy triumphs. In the rabbinical book, we read these beautiful words attributed to God. Open the doors of repentance as wide only as the eye of a needle, and I will open the doors of mercy so wide that you could enter on a chariot with four horses. Who knows but that God has allowed you to survive the deceased on purpose to intercede for him. So wonderful and so unfathomable 
are the designs of providence. For all eternity we shall adore them. Let us repeat the consoling words of St. Chrysostom, so well calculated to soothe the bitterness of our grief. Imagine a spark falling into the sea, he says. Can it exist? Can it be seen? Such is your wickedness compared with the goodness and mercy of God. But even this comparison fails to convey an adequate idea of the Godhead, for the sea, vast as it is, has limits, whereas the mercy and goodness of God are boundless. This consideration, however, should not encourage the sinner to put off his conversion and penance under pretense that God will pardon him at the last moment. For does not our Lord say, Watch and pray, for death will come like a thief in the night, and that judgment will depend upon the light and grace we have received? But the deceased for whom we are justly alarmed, had he all the spiritual advantages which we enjoy? Will not God take into account his ignorance, the bad example he received, the impetuosity of a passionate nature, want perhaps of intelligence and judgment, the corrupt surroundings in which his lot was cast. Who knows but that your future prayers known to God have had some influence on the divine mercy. And here a word of advice to parents to carefully watch over the Christian education and training of their children may not be out of place. He who has no religion follows perhaps with tears, the body of a cherished father, mother, or brother to the grave. But when all is over, he strives to banish from his mind the sad memory. Never does he offer a prayer. Never does he perform a good work for those souls who may, on his account, be now suffering the torments of purgatory. Think well on this. Your fathers and mothers, you fathers and mothers, and do not neglect a duty which so nearly concerns you. Well then, let us pray much. Let us pray often. Let us pray always for our loved departed ones. Men are more intelligent than wicked, more blind than wicked. At each one's death, at the tribunal of God, the Savior of men will say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Placed under the law of hope, no less than that of faith and love, the thought of the infinite goodness of our divine Redeemer should encourage us in our trials. Let us then never cease to hope and address humble and persevering prayers to the Lord, for we know not where they will be granted. Great saints and learned doctors have written most consoling things on the powerful efficacy of prayer for those cherished souls whatever may have been their end. One day we shall know the ineffable wonders of divine mercy. We should therefore never fail to implore it with great confidence. And now a poem from Father Faber, and then uh, a last story, beautiful story, about a soul that was saved at the very last moment. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. There is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. There is no place where earth's failings have such kindly judgment given. For the love of God is broader than the measure of man's mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. But we make his love too narrow by false limits of our own, and we magnify his strictness 
with a zeal he will not own. If our love were but more simple, we would take him at his word, and our lives would be all sunshine in the sweetness of the Lord. And lastly, now this account. An eminent musician named Herman Cohen was converted to the Jewish religion from the Jewish religion to the light of the true faith by witnessing a miraculous manifestation of the sacred host at the moment of benediction. Having embraced Christianity, he shortly after abandoned the world and entered the order of Mount Carmel. Full of grateful devotion toward the Blessed Sacrament, he used to pray daily several hours prostrate before the tabernacle in adoration, and with great fervor earnestly prayed for the conversion of his mother, whom he ardently loved. Prayers, fasting, good works of every kind for this intention seemed sweet to his soul. Notwithstanding all his efforts, her conversion did not come to pass. She died to all appearances in the errors of Judaism. A wonderful grace, however, was vouchsafed her by the divine mercy at the last moment of her life, and it was made known to a very holy person that her soul was saved. The account is as follows. On the 18th of October, 1860, after Holy Communion, I found myself in one of those moments of intimate union with our Lord, wherein he makes me so sweetly feel his presence in the sacrament of sacraments. After a few moments, he made me hear his voice and deigned to give me some explanation regarding a conversation that I had had the day before. I remembered then that in this conversation, one of my friends manifested to me her astonishment that our Lord, who had promised everything to prayer, had, nevertheless, remained deaf to those Father Herman had so often offered to obtain the conversion of his mother. Her surprise had almost reached discontent, and I had considerable trouble to make her understand that we should adore the justice of God and not seek to penetrate his secrets. I ventured to ask my Jesus how it was that he, who is goodness itself, had been able to resist the prayers of Father Herman and had not granted him the conversion of his mother. This was his answer. Why does this person always try to sound the depth of my judgments and seek to penetrate mysteries she cannot understand? Tell her that I owe my graces to no one, that I bestow them on whom I please, that in acting thus I cease not to be justice itself. But let her also know that rather than fail in the promises I have made to prayer, I would overturn heaven and earth, and that every prayer that has for object my glory and the salvation of souls is granted when it possesses the necessary qualities. He added, To prove to thee this truth, I will make known to thee what occurred at the moment of the death of Father Herman's mother. My Jesus enlightened me, then with a ray of his divine light, and made known to me, or rather made me see in him what I shall endeavor to relate. At the moment when Father Herman's mother was on the point of yielding to her last breath, she appeared deprived of consciousness and with scarcely any sign of life. She saw our Immaculate Mother present herself to her divine Son, and prostrated his feet, heard her say to him, Mercy, pity, O my Son, for this poor soul who is about to be lost to all, for all eternity. Do I entreat of you for the mother of my servant Herman what he has so often asked? The soul of his mother is infinitely dear to him. A thousand times he has he consecrated it to me. 
He has confided it to me, to my tenderness and the solicitude of my heart. Can I suffer it to perish? No, no, this soul is mine. I will have it. I claim it as my inheritance, as the price of your blood, and of my sorrow at the foot of the cross. Scarcely had the blessed suppliant ceased speaking with when a strong, powerful grace issued from the source of every grace, the adorable heart of Jesus, and triumphing instantaneously over her obstinacy and resistance, that soul turned immediately with loving confidence toward him whose mercy had preserved her even in the arms of death. And she said to him, O Jesus, God of Christians, God that my son adores, I believe, I hope in you, have mercy on me. In this exclamation, heard by God alone, in which issued from the most intimate depths of the heart of the dying one, were included a sincere regret for her obstinacy and her sins, a desire of baptism, and an express wish to receive it, and to live according to the rules and precepts of our holy religion, if she could have returned to this life. This impulsive act of faith and hope in Jesus was the last sentiment of this soul, and at the moment she made it ascend toward the throne of the divine mercy, the feeble bonds which retained her within her mortal frame broke, and she fell at the feet of him who had become her savior before being her judge. After having shown me all these things, our Lord added, Make this known to Father Herman. It is a consolation I desire to bestow on him for his long sorrow, that he may bless the goodness of my mother's heart and its power over mine. Father Herman's mother died in 1855. The vision or favor was granted in 1860, and in 1861 he received the original of this letter. So let us not lose hope for any family members who may have passed in similar conditions in what externally was obstinacy. Let's pray for them that if they are in purgatory, the Lord might have mercy upon their souls.